Hello, Pastor Lisa Bates Froyland here from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to our fourth season of the Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives podcast, a more portable way to take in the weekly preaching and music here at Redeemer. This season, we weather the winter months together. Join us as we prepare for Christmas in December and get to know Jesus through scripture and song in January, February, March, and then head toward a crescendo in April with a retelling of Jesus's death and resurrection. Imagine that, a religion founded on the promise that new life can emerge from death. And lucky us here in Wisconsin, because nature will be showing us this truth at the very same time. And now, here's the sermon. Well, good morning and welcome. Again, my name is Pastor Mike, and it is so good to be with you this morning here at Redeemer. Now, I want to dive into just this first part, kind of like a Bible study. So I hope that you have your bulletins open so that you have the scripture in front of you. And because I'd like to do just a little bit of recapping of what we just heard, because we heard quite, quite a bit of reading. So if you go into that first section that Janet read for us, <clears throat> the first thing that I want you to pull out and I want you to notice is that there are multiple times in which Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream. So don't forget that dreams are important. That even before this moment, it was an angel in a dream that came to Joseph and both encouraged him to keep his engagement to Mary. And then later, he is visited again in a dream to flee to Egypt. And now, when we pick up in this story, He's encouraged to come back to Israel, but as he comes back to Israel, he's visited again in a dream to avoid the big city and to settle in Galilee. All of this, just keep in your head. Don't dismiss your dreams. God might be saying something important to you in them. Now the next line I want you to look at is at the end of that first paragraph. It mentions that Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they end up in Nazareth, and this is to fulfill a prophecy that the Messiah is to be known as a Nazarene. And now, I was like, wow, this is, this is a really cool prophecy. I love prophecies. I love digging back into the Old Testament and finding out where these prophecies come, come from. And so, uh, I dug back into the Old Testament, and you guys, you know what I found? Ask, ask me where I found this. Say, Pastor Mike, where did you find this prophecy? I, I didn't. <laughs> I have no idea where this prophecy comes from. It doesn't, there isn't anywhere in our canonized version of the Old Testament that we see this scripture appear or this prophecy being foretold. Um, so it's really interesting that Matthew makes reference that you know, gosh, this is just common knowledge, guys, that Jesus is going to come from Nazareth. Now, when I was doing some scholarly research and got them to weigh in on things, some of them might believe, um, kind of alluded to this idea that actually the prophecy might be that the Messiah would be a Nazarite. So, close in word, Nazareth, Nazarite, um, and 
um, there is some speculation that there might have been this prophecy going around in which the Messiah would be somebody who took the Nazarite vows, which is found in Numbers chapter 6, which I know you guys just read yesterday, so um, I know you're very familiar with the Nazarite vow, right? So let me just remind you. Um, so basically, a Nazarite, somebody who took the Nazarite vow, could be a man or a woman, um, but when they did so, they vowed not to drink alcohol, not to cut their hair or their beard, and that they were to refrain from being close to dead bodies. Now, I only bring this up, and this is important, because it rolls right into our story of John. Because when we meet John the Baptist, who do we meet? We meet a guy who's got wild hair, his head has not been touched by a razor, in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about him not drinking alcohol, and we assume that he's probably not in contact with dead bodies. So there's a high probability that John had taken the Nazarite vows. So it's no wonder if there is this prophecy going around that the Messiah would be a Nazarite. There was a bunch of people gathering around this guy who doesn't drink, who lives an aesthetic lifestyle, and is saying some really profound things out into the wilderness so much that the other religious leaders of the day are flocking to him to be baptized themselves. There has got to be this belief that John must have been the Messiah. But because you guys are all good readers, if you look into the text, John, of course, says, no, I'm not the guy. In fact, he says, look, the one who is coming after me is even more powerful than I. All I'm doing is baptizing people in repentance with just water. But this guy, this guy who's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John is the first one to say, no, in fact, I am not the promised Messiah. He even says, and you can look this up, it says, I will be even unworthy to even carry his sandals. There's a deep sense of, no, I am not the guy, and I'm not even worthy to be close to the guy. So when Jesus shows up, the real deal, the bona fide Messiah, when he comes, the very first thing that he asks of John is to be baptized. And you can imagine that John must have felt pretty shocked that here is Jesus, the Messiah, whom he said is coming in power and with fire. Someone who is so powerful that he is not even worthy to carry his sandals around, and Jesus comes up to him and says, I need to be baptized by you. And so unsurprisingly, John's response is that he actually refrains. It says that he tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized by him and basically says, wait, 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 I should be the one who is getting baptized by you. And you want me to baptize you? He must have thought in that moment, who, who am I? Who am I 
that I might baptize the Messiah. All I got is water. I don't have the Holy Spirit or fire yet. All I got is water. But the thing is that John is being called to be an instrument of God in this moment. An instrument of God for the Son of God. And I get it. That, that feels heavy. Can you imagine being in the same shoes as John, absolutely convinced that the person that is coming to you is the Messiah and having them ask you to perform a sacred ritual of the faith on them? It feels like a huge responsibility. One that John knew that he could never truly be worthy of. And I don't know about you, but man, I can, I can relate to John's deep sense of unworthiness when Jesus comes to him and asks him to perform this sacred ritual on him. Because more days than I would like to admit, I'm not so sure about the calling that God has for me. I don't know if I am worthy to follow after Jesus in the way that God has called me to. Because when I think about it, if I think about all the things that I have done and all that I am, God knows every detail. And I think to myself, how could God still want me to be a pastor, to be in this pulpit when he knows exactly who I am and exactly where I've been? Just like John, I am not sure that I am worthy to carry Jesus' sandals either. And so I get it. I understand why John initially balks at Jesus' request. Because when God comes to, set, comes to us and says, I'd like you to do this, it is only natural for us to respond, God, are you sure you have the right person? In my own call story, one of my pastors back in Minnesota, he used to try to convince me that God's calling on my life was to be a pastor, and I brushed him off again and again and again. It got to the point where he would be so confident that I was destined to be a pastor that he would not ask, are you going to go to seminary, Mike? He would say, when are you going to seminary? And in my stubbornness, and if I'll be perfectly frank in this feeling of unworthiness. I would always joke with him, if God really wants me to go to seminary, he's going to have to send a whale to come eat me up and spit me out there. So of course, when I left Minnesota and I came here to Wisconsin, my pastor's parting gift of me was this wooden whale with a boat on top. And that stupid prophetic pastor was right that I am two months away from finishing my seminary degree and to living into the calling that Pastor John was able to see before I was. But the thing is, it's not just about me and the ways that God has called me in the middle of my unworthiness, but don't miss out 
that God is making that same call to you in your life. It may not be as obvious as Jesus walking up to you and asking to be baptized, but like John, all of us will find ourselves in a situation in which God says, now's your time. You have the opportunity to witness to what I am doing in the world. And when you do, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. God is going to ask you to lean into the sacred and impart the faith that you have on the people around you. And you are probably going to go, wait, who, me? You see, I firmly believe that there are moments in which God is going to call upon you to be a witness, to share the gospel, to share how you've seen God's presence in your story, to sit with somebody who is sick or dying, to pray over somebody who is hurting or struggling. Maybe God will ask you to mentor somebody younger than you in the faith. And the thing is, I know that your internal dialogue right now is probably starting to think up all of those excuses that you're going to say. And I know what those excuses are because I've used them myself. I know they go a little bit like this. Well, how am I supposed to share the gospel when I don't really know the Bible that well? God doesn't care. Well, you don't want me to share my testimony. I'm not really a good public speaker. God doesn't care. Well, you see, I'm not very good at praying. I'm not, I'm not really holy or pious. God doesn't care. Wait, you want me to help feed and clothe people? Aren't there, aren't there people who are better equipped to do that? No. You are. Well, God, certainly if you actually knew all that I've done, if you knew all the times I've screwed up and hurt other people, you'd know that I'm not worthy to do anything for you. And I'm telling you that not only does God not care, it might be exactly because of your brokenness that you've experienced in your life that God knows that you are exactly the right person for the job. Because here's the thing, even with John's reservations, he still goes for it, and he baptizes Jesus anyway. And we are each called to overcome those same reservations in our own life, to lean into the sacred and to be a blessing to the people around us. Because the miracle of this whole situation is this, John is worried about being unworthy in the presence of Jesus, and you know what? He's right. John is unworthy, as are we all. But it is the grace of God who loves us anyway, who desires to be with us, that God is going to show up and the Holy Spirit is going to show up anyway. And again, it might not be as obvious as the heavens opening up and seeing God's Spirit descending to the earth like a dove, but I promise you that when you get past those feelings of being unworthy, 
God's going to show up. He always does. And so it is this. Even though we know that we are unworthy to be God's messengers, we live into the grace that God still calls us anyway, that God still loves us just as we are, and continues to propel us forward into a future, and we get to bless the people around us. That we get to come before God just as we are, nothing more, nothing less. And God will continue to show up time and time again. Amen? sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted the rescue begin come find your mercy a sinner come near earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, Lord, who are
There's joy for the morning, a sinner be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your there you have it, a sermon and a song. Hope you are inspired, fortified, challenged by these podcasts, and also willing to donate to support our ministry here in the heart of Milwaukee. Online, go to www.redeemermilwaukee.org. An old-fashioned paper check means no fees. The entire gift supports the ministry here. Send a check to Redeemer Church, 631 North 19th Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53233. Our Fearless and Faithful Capital Campaign invites anyone to help us with financial contributions, big or small, to make our physical home at the corner of 19th Street and Wisconsin Avenue ready and able to worship, for education, and especially for outreach in decades to come. Information on Fearless and Faithful can be found at the website www. Dot RedeemerMilwaukee.org. Until next time, may our gracious God increase your hope, strengthen your faith, deepen your capacity for love, and grant you peace.